From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 450, Microsoft Azure Backup Services with guest Aiden Finn, recorded Thursday, November 26th, 2015. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I have had a crazy couple of weeks, actually. Two big pieces of news. Uh, one is my basement flooded again, so my entire studio is torn apart. I'm actually in a different part of the house with a different recording rig. And the other is that finally, at long last, the new Run As Radio site is up. So if you go to runasradio.com, you will see a style we are calling Metro Retro. We're using the Metro colors, but a lot of 8-bit looking formatting and simple fonts. Just kind of a flashback to the good old days of operating systems. And my guest for episode 450 and the, all of this big news is Aiden Finn. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on 450. Yeah. Miserations on the basement. <laughs> yeah. Second time I've had the basement flood on me, but, uh, you know, I kind of know what to do. And for those who haven't run across Aiden before, he's an MVP in Hyper-V. Is it still Hyper-V or are they changing your expertise now? So I describe it as Cloudin's, what was it? Cloudin Data Center Management, but I always put Hyper-V in brackets. Right. Because that's what people really, really know. And, and you've been in IT infrastructure for entirely too long. Coming on 20 years, my friend. I think you're becoming an old man like me. Yeah, gray beard and everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, if well, I don't shave, it's all gray. Everything's gray now, it's true. Yeah, well. It's the only right. bit of me that has hair, but... Um, <laughs> it's on the head anyway, so... Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's full time. What have you been working on? What's uh, what's cranking you these days? Oh, man. It's uh, been crazy. Um you know what it's like at this time of year with events. And oh, yeah. No, it's high season. No two ways about it. Yeah, it's like there's two months of the, the half year where Microsoft give funding for things and okay things and people will attend. Just that little confluence of everything happening at once. And uh, so I've been pretty much all Azure and all the time. Well, almost all the time. I get some time to do Windows Server 2016 here and there. Yep. TB4 is out, which is cool. Yeah, TP4 just came out. Um, people just got to see some of the cool new stuff in Storage Spaces Direct. Um, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about that now. Yep. Um, so there's some very, very cool stuff there. Hyper-V containers. Um, I've been playing with Windows Server containers a good bit since TP3. So Hyper-V containers is a very cool new way of hosting hostile code, uh, security between different containers. Um, and it's interesting here hearing Mark Rosinovich talking about how they're going to use Hyper-V containers in Azure for things like automation, where obviously they are hosting hostile code, and containers will give them the ability to scale out instantly, and because we are talking about instant scale out, but also be able to do secure isolation between tenants and between tenants and the infrastructure using Hyper-V. I, I'm really liking this move towards sort of declarative networking. 
that you're able to say, hey, this is a container, it's completely isolated, except on these points, I'm expecting communication here, 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 and here, and that's about it. Yeah, um, like the networking side of it, for a nerd like me and yourself, um, the networking side of containers is is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually got two ways of doing that networking. Um, if you dig under the covers, you can find that when you deploy a host or a VM host uh, for containers, because a virtual machine can be a host for containers, you can deploy a virtual switch within the host, a virtual switch which we consider as a Hyper-V technology. And we can deploy that inside a virtual machine. And we have two ways of deploying that. One is the old legacy method where whenever we connect onto a port on that virtual switch, be it a virtual machine or a container, that can have full network access, just the same old-fashioned way as possible. We can do extended ACLs and to isolate whatever way we want there within the virtual switch. So it's effectively firewalling within the virtual switch. But we can also do natting. So using a single IP address, we could have potentially hundreds or thousands of containers within that virtual machine. Sure. With lots of different things. And we just do natting on the port level. So if you want to run Nginx on a hundred different containers on a single machine, you can do that with a single IP address. So now your network just becomes so much more scalable. You're able to deploy web hosting instances with your application all pre-configured and pre-deployed in a second. Yeah, and it, it's just it's just part of the configuration now. It, it's not infrastructure you're dropping into. It's infrastructure you create on demand. Yeah, um, it's the whole phrase infrastructure as code yeah. uh, playing out. Um, and you know, even saying the word deploy isn't even correct because... You're not actually deploying <laughs> the container from the repository of reusable images. You're actually deploying the link. Right. It's just the uniqueness is being stored in that new container. And so it's there I hear containers being described as stateless. That's not actually true. It's just that, that they have a very tiny state that is only unique to them. And you know, we need to think of containers as things that have very short lives. And so how we do authentication you know, changes. Active Directory becomes something that doesn't make sense anymore. Um, maybe it's used in some way in the back end, but the application layer needs to authenticate in a different way because, you know, why would you create a, a computer account for an object or a container that's going to live for maybe a day or a week? And um, because, you know, the DevOps guys are going to come along and create a new version of the application. Well, and even maybe even faster than that, they may be only alive for a few hours. Yeah, um, because it may come and go based on demand. Yep. I mean, it's destruction of instances. This continuous deployment model sort of leans out towards these changes all of the time. Like it's just, it's very hard to to believe in the long life of anything anymore. But it doesn't need to be. It's it's much more efficient not to be. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing I'm trying to spend time on. But my job, um, my job is I work for a distributor in Ireland. Right. Uh, we work with what Microsoft called the breadth market of partners. So those partners that aren't managed directly by Microsoft, um, and they tend to focus on the SME market. And a big target from uh, Microsoft in the last oh, two years has been to grow Microsoft Azure within the SME market. Um, because they they don't have the wherewithal to reach, you know, you, at least here in Ireland, 92% of businesses are in the SME space. Right. And from what I hear, that's not that different in North America or continental Europe or anywhere else. 
Um, we tend to always think about the city banks of the world when yeah. we hear about solutions. Those giant, Microsoft. giant customers. Yeah. Microsoft, when Microsoft is talking about System Center, they'll talk about how Pizza Hut or System Center, uh, 100 million different PCs managed by two people. Right. Uh, and, you know, for most businesses, that's interesting, but kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and I work with that market. And my job has been to raise awareness and increase sales of Azure to those partners. So I'm kind of somewhere like uh, uh, an app evangelist at the moment. An app evangelist, I love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm doing salesy type stuff. So today, and just before I was talking to you, I was in Dublin City, and I had a room full of salespeople from Microsoft Partners. And I was teaching them about one of my favorite features of Azure, which is Microsoft Azure Backup Server, uh, or MABS. And next week, I'll be delivering hands-on technical training on Azure Virtual Machines. And so I've built my own training course on that stuff and teaching them that, how to deploy things with best practices and deal with performance issues and troubleshooting and stuff. Back in the old days of Azure, when, when the cloud was was viewed much more suspiciously than it is today. Not that it isn't still suspicious, but it was way worse a couple of years ago. I always figured backup was the perfect starting point. It's not about running your systems on the cloud. It's about having backup in the cloud. And I think Microsoft got off to an interesting start with um, Azure Backup, Mm -hmm. which is that they implemented the trust no one model. Right. So it's TNO storage, and you'll hear TNO being thrown around by some of the security guys um, out there. So the idea is that nothing leaves your servers without it being encrypted. Right. And Microsoft never has access to that encryption key. In fact, they they force you to set up that encryption key as part of the setup. You can't actually go through the setup without setting up a very long protect, uh, encryption key. And they also warn you that Microsoft will never have access to that encryption key. So right. You lose it. We can't help you. Um, and you don't store that key on the server or the PC you're backing up. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> I encrypted the key. You see, you're in for an interesting ex- uh, chat with your boss. <laughs> um, so what I'm actually seeing a lot of uh, in, in, uh, ingenious Microsoft partners doing is uh, they store that encryption key in the customer's storage accounts in Azure. Um, so the customer always has access to that key, no matter where they are. They can sign into their Azure account. Right. At some point, there's going to be an Azure key storage, right? Like we're just going to have a, a safe place to put all our keys. They have the key, and the partner typically keeps a key, uh, keeps a copy of it as well. And so, and hopefully, they store it in a fire safe as well if they're careful. You would um, hope because it is just it's a long piece of text um, of random characters uh, in a text file. So it can be printed out and saved. It, and it must be only 4K at most, right? I mean, it's a tiny number of bytes. Yeah. In terms of bytes, it's it's nothing. But in terms of you know, wanting to retype it out. Yeah, no, enough that it's unpleasant, that you're not going to... And enough yeah. entropy that nobody's going to generate the hack their way through that. Yeah. And it's standardized encryption as well. So everything gets compressed, well, encrypted, then compressed, and then sent off to wherever it's going to be sent off. Right. Um, so... Initially, when you know, I took this to Microsoft Partners in Ireland uh, about a year, year and a half ago, and um, when Open Licensing for Azure launched, I thought, you know, here's this interesting solution. It's not that different to what they're selling at the moment um, with products like Mosey Pro and stuff that's based on a solution called Assay, which is very reseller focused. Right. Um, you know, SME market, they're very used to online backup. 
And it's not a threat to IT people because it's a hybrid service. It's not replacing anything. It's it's offering an extension. It's giving us a you know offsite backup where they don't have to send tapes off in a bag to Iron Mountain or whoever. Right. And it's all nice and simple. Configure it and just keep an eye on it every now and then. Get an email. Hopefully, if something's broken. Um, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be something that we can lead with. You know, we'll we'll shift this like hot cookies. And the feedback instantly was negative. Really? People love the pricing. And back then, the pricing in euros was about 14.9 cents per gig. So we'll say about 17 US cent. Um, and if anything, the price has actually plummeted. So I'm looking at pricing right in front of me right now. Price per gig per month, uh, the highest rate uh, with geo-redundant storage is 4.8 US cent per gig. Good Lord. So it's actually come down. We're talking about a really cheap storage in the cloud. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and there's, there's an, a small agent charge or an instance charge, as Microsoft call it. It's small. It's insignificant. Um, but the, the pricing of this solution, it's absolutely hammering the legacy products. But where it fell down was that if you wanted the simple solution where you didn't require system center licensing, right. it only protected files and folders. What? It didn't do micro VVMs, didn't do SharePoint, didn't do SQL Server, didn't do Exchange. So it's a bit feature limited. It just became a non-starter then, because if I can't back up everything, I don't want to back up anything. Exactly. It might have worked in a small business that just had PCs. Right. Or, start or something like that, where they want to protect their OneDrive or something. Um, but beyond that, really wasn't a flyer. And then they, well, when we gave that feedback, the answer was, well, use DPM from System Center. And the problem was that in the SME space, as of 2012... Uh, People 2012, just don't use System Center. It's too expensive. Exactly. And it's, and it's too it's, complicated. It's, yeah. yeah. You couldn't buy DPM by itself. No. Buy the entire suite per machine that you were uh, going to protect. And they got rid of System Center Essentials, which I thought was a brilliant, brilliant product for the SME space. Yeah, when we started talking to people about that, it started to move. Oh, uh, yeah. It was such a good idea. And it's almost like it was too good of an idea. It was actually the cheapest way for an SME to play DPM. <laughs> plus DPM. Um, because it was actually very affordable. Right. And, excuse me. Um, so we, we didn't have something that we can move. And then there was also complaints that there was a lack of a central web portal for managing this stuff. So for a while we thought Azure Backup weren't listening. And then at the Worldwide Partner Conference uh, back in July, they announced something called Project Venus. And this was an answer from the Azure backup team, who are also the DPM team. Right. Um, and they said, listen, we have heard your feedback, and we are starting a project. We can't give you everything you want straight away, but we're going to start off very soon, and we're going to gradually introduce the three major things you want, which is support for Hyper-V, SharePoint Exchange, SQL Server uh, for SMEs, and we'll add vSphere support there too eventually when we add the DPM. And we will then give you a console and then we'll give you the option of having direct to cloud backup where we will support those other elements, not just files and folders as well. Nice. So I heard this and I was like, brilliant. And I got a briefing from some of the Azure backup guys. And I thought, this is a really good start. I like the plan. They've They've laid out what the roadmap is. We don't know the schedule. They've given us a roadmap. We know where this is going. And when they give me the first piece, I think I can go out to market, and I think people will be interested in this. Absolutely. So the first piece was Microsoft Azure Backup Server. 
which I think was released about two months ago. And MAVS, as I like to call it, is a full enterprise backup solution that happens to support all of the exact same things as DPM. It works the exact same way as DPM. It has the same administration console as DPM. But the only difference I can find is it doesn't have tape support. Right. And it's free. (laughs) You know what it actually is? is it is a very slightly customized version of DPM. That's, it sure seems that way. It's a free download. It's publicly accessible. It's legit. And you can download Microsoft Azure Backup Server, install it, deploy it, and use it to centrally backup your PCs, your Exchange, your Hyper-V, your SharePoint, your SQL Server, to a cheap disk array, be it RAID 5 SATA or whatever, right. storage spaces, and select some or all of that data and send it off to Azure for long-term storage. That's awesome. Aiden, give me one second to pay the bills because Run As Radio is brought to you by ScriptRock, the fighters of configuration drift. Configuration drift happens in every environment from five nodes to 5,000. ScriptRock will find and scan the configs of every node in your environment, no matter the platform, and alert you to changes happening across machines. And now with the latest update, ScriptRock offers vulnerability scanning on all your nodes at no extra cost. Give it a try for three months free with the coupon code RUNASRADIO, all one word, at scriptrock.com slash runasradio. So now we have a complete backup solution by using essentially a modified DPM product to pull all the different backup sources from Exchange and SharePoint and SQL Server and so forth into a set of file stores, and then that file store gets pushed to the cloud. Yeah, so you use this cheap disk storage locally as your local short-term storage. Right, because it doesn't have to be rated or anything. It doesn't have to be super reliable because it's only temporary. Yeah, exactly. It's your short-term attention. So you might keep seven days of data there. Right. And then you can keep up to 366 recovery points staggered over up to 99 years in the cloud at a maximum of, in for the North Europe or Dublin region, uh, 4.8 US cent per gig per month. And can you specify where it's stored? Yeah, you pick your region. And um, so you can pick any of the regions that support Azure Backup, which I think they all do. Okay. Without uh, double checking. Because um, in the end, Azure backups just file storage, actually. Yeah, it's blob storage right. in Azure. So it is the uh, block blob service uh, on a storage account. Um, so it's actually when you go into the Azure console or use PowerShell, you create a backup vault. Right. But on the covers, it is block blobs. So that's the pricing range. And you can do LRS. So locally redundant storage that keeps three synchronous copies in a single facility. Or you can do geo redundant storage, which does. LRS plus eight, three asynchronous copies in the neighboring region. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, in Europe, if I pick uh, North Europe or Dublin um, as my primary location and I do GRS, east of North Europe, where we have West Europe, did your mind around that? <laughs> um, it does three asynchronous copies. <laughs> okay. I love when marketing people name things. <laughs> Um, so it's it's a cool solution. It's easy to set up, and I wish more people knew about it. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm happy to spread the word too. But look, I don't need a backup solution. I need a restore solution. So <laughs> tell me about the hard part, dude. Um, you know what? It just works. Really? Yeah. So walk me through the sequence. I des- I decide, you know, let's take a, a SQL Server corruption. So somebody's dropped a table, and they didn't realize it for a day. 
Yeah, you're restoring the database. Yep. Uh, so it's a simple wizard, and you can restore to original source or alternative locations uh, to different servers. Now, different do I have to load the files back from the cloud to my local temporary store first? Um, if you're coming from the cloud, yeah, you do have to have a staging location. Okay, so if it's only a day, I probably still have the file locally, is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If it's, um, if so it's a month, it's a different thing. Ideally, you want to restore from locally. Um, and there's just cool ways we can use this stuff. You know, we're all supposed to do test restores, and, you know, that just, you know, never really happens for whatever reason. Right. But, and you know, it's so much easier now. You don't touch the production server at all. You stand up a new instance of SQL Server in a VM. You do the restore. You do some inspection, try and figure out that you really understand where it's at. And then you destroy the whole thing when you're done. And I can make that even cheaper for you. Instead of deploying that virtual machine on-premise, where it's going to consume some sort of infrastructure that you've had to buy up front and right. pay for over yes. three or four years, deploy a virtual machine in Azure that has SQL pre-installed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're totally right. So you can exercise these this restore process for everything. I, I think Exchange would, or SharePoint might be a little hairier just because there's more moving parts. But yeah, uh, um, but you can deploy a SharePoint farm uh, from a wizard yes. in the Azure consoles. And now it won't be specifically like your SharePoint farm, but you know, you can test restore documents and stuff like that into that farm. Um, so it's also sort of a backdoor way to explore lift and shift, isn't it? You know, there's a better way of doing lift and shift. Yeah. And that's to use Azure Site Recovery. Site um, Recovery. Yes, yeah, so that's the disaster recovery service from Azure. Um, that's the feature of Azure that we're moving the most, I believe, oh, really? to SMEs. So for, I don't know what the dollar price is, but in the euro price, it is 45 euros per month to replicate a virtual machine to Azure plus the storage cost. Okay. And it supports Hyper-V virtual machines, physical servers, VMware virtual machines, Windows or Linux. Wow. So you're just maintaining a copy of that machine in the cloud yeah, for recovery actually, purposes. It's simpler than that. It actually just replicates the disks. And then as part of your failover plan, so we can fail over one-off machine, or we can create a pre-configured orchestration and ordering of fail of failover virtual machines, and we can do a, pl- a test failover, a planned failover, or an unplanned failover. So, say your basement flooded and you lost all your servers. Who would that happen to? And I, by the way, did not lose a thing. My racks are built eighteen inches off the ground for a reason. They're <laughs> fine. I actually lost no hardware in this disaster at all. I'm just losing say, my walls and my my flooring. So, say the water was four foot uh, deep. Um, yeah, if it was four foot deep, we we would have a problem. Yeah, we could do an unplanned failover. Yep. Or if we got a weather warning saying big floods were coming and we knew the basement was going to be flooded, we could do a planned failover. Yes, and this is something I built. 20 years ago in the Caribbean between two data centers that were both in hurricane belts so that we would that cost. Oh, dude, so much money. I think I paid for my house with that just in consulting <laughs> service charges alone. Like it was so much money, but it was incredibly powerful that we could, we had symmetrical data centers in different locations and you could do that planned failover. All right. Hurricane warning. We're 48 hours out. All traffic moves off this site. Wind it down and wait for the hurricane to go by and then wind it back up again. 
Was there a lot of documentation about who had to pull what levers and what order? Yeah, we worked hard on automation on that. Uh, the it was one of my first experiences with this idea that that uh, you don't want your A team to show up to every event because when the real event happens, the A team's not always available. And so the we under the water as well. Well, it, 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 you're exactly right. You don't know what's going to happen. So we um, we got it. We got into a policy of simply switching between the data centers every month, whether we needed to or not. So it <laughs> became routine. And so that when it was actually because we were staying clear of a hurricane, it just wasn't a big deal. Well, with Azure Site Recovery, we can do the plan failover. So we create this orchestrated plan, which right. orders the failover of virtual machines and can run Azure Automation Parachill scripts as part of that. There's loads of other cool things we can do with this. But it will power down the virtual machines in the correct sequence in the customer site and then flush the last bit of replication to Azure and then power up the virtual machines in the right order. Right. So there's no data loss. And at that point, you're not living in some kind of special recovery infrastructure. You're just living in Azure VMs. Yeah. So there's two ways we use this. One is obviously disaster recovery. But the other is this is a way of lifting and shifting, getting back on point, our yeah. virtual machines from the customer site. Yeah, very Azure. interesting. And with zero data loss and minimizing that downtime. Um, so you can strip away the replication mechanism afterwards. You just, okay, you're an Azure customer. Right. Running ordinary Azure virtual machines. But it, it, and the other side of this is if you are using this as a recovery service, after you recover, this is the thing I learned when we started doing this routinely, is it's not about failing over. It's about moving back. Yeah. Like that is, uh, that's a much more challenging process. Um, so far in every deployment I've done uh, with a Microsoft partner, that's been part of the whole testing that we've done. And we literally use the same recovery plan. It just runs it in reverse order. But it's now running it onto the on-prem systems. Yeah, so we can flush stuff back to the existing on-prem system right. or to a new on-prem system. Right. Okay. It's interesting a way to do hardware upgrades then, isn't it? Yeah, I never thought about that. Push it, use site recovery to push the VM up into the cloud, run it for the, you know, then, then set up the new hardware and then push it back down from the cloud. Oh, I'm updating my PowerPoints after we talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a really interesting idea that the cloud could be that bridging point between these two systems. And you know what this reminds me of? Do you remember the first time you P to V to machine and you just didn't believe it had happened? You know, where, where the machine was running fine, you started this thing to turn it into a virtual machine, and you never saw it go down. It's just all of a sudden, the computer that used to be that service is off. And it's now a VM living in another machine, and it's fine. I, the, the, this feels like that same kind of mystical effect. Yeah, I kind of uh, describe it as stretch quick migration. <laughs> You know, eventually we'll get mad bandwidth all over the world. Probably not here in Ireland, yeah. um, but we'll get this mad bandwidth and we'll be able to do stretched live migration or something crazy between on-premise and the cloud, and that'll open up a whole new interesting world. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, between Azure Backup and Azure Site Recovery, you're talking about two of these, what Microsoft would call on-ramp or hybrid technologies. Right. Uh, you know, they're not threatening to IT people. They're not going to replace their jobs. They're going to allow them to do things that you know, the business needs to do. And it's going to give them a chance to explore and discover Azure and you know, the potential of what something like Azure can do. You know, when I'm asked what Azure is, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> it's it's so getting harder, hard. isn't it? Yeah. I am frustrated with this idea that IT people feel threatened like the cloud's going to take their job away. This is only expanding our job. This is lets us do more and become more essential to the organization. 
Yeah, what I found in you know learning at Azure for the first time because a year and a half ago, you know, I was doing nothing with Azure. To me, it was right. the end. I was that IT pro, and um, you know, the more I've gotten into it, the more I found you know what. There's a lot of stuff in here. You know, there's certain things that it makes really easy for me. Yeah, uh, but they're the monotonous, boring things that I didn't enjoy doing. Yes. Um. You know, I don't want to be racking servers. I hate cabling. I yeah. do the worst cabling in the world. And you don't want That's to flip tapes something. anymore either. Like, these are all ridiculous things. Yeah, I hate LTO tapes and yep. tape drops. I, I despise that stuff. Um, and when I can go disk to cloud or disk to disk to cloud, I get the ability to say, you know what, I want to deploy something in Azure and I can network load balance that thing without having to give some hardware company $30,000. Um, and do that no load balancing for free. Yeah, uh, you know things like that are just amazing. To be able to say I want to deploy content delivery network around the world, and I can do it with three mouse clicks. And as a, a non YouTube, it's going to cost me less than a dollar a month. Right. Yeah, not it's not until the velocity gets higher, right? You only pay for what you use. You don't have to sign this hundred thousand dollar Akamai contract. The larger your service gets, the more you pay Microsoft, but. That's easily absorbed by your profit. Absolutely. Yeah, you're solely because you're making money that you pay. How many times have you gone to Ticketmaster to buy some tickets for a pop at a concert? Sat there for 45 minutes wondering, how many servers have these guys got? <laughs> it's true. And if they were in Azure and used all the scaling, they could deploy as many machines as they wanted to meet that demand. Exactly. And then shrink it all down based exactly. on profitability. Yeah, now if only we could get bandwidth to be that elastic, right? It's just like, now make my pipe huge, now shrink it down again. But it doesn't work that way, at least not yet, anyway. As we chat over my 8 meg ADSL with yeah. 256 upload. Uh, dude, this is, you're, you're communicating in my pair of 100 megabits with the 50 megabit backup. Just the basics for my place, right? <laughs> so Aiden, what's next for you? Where can folks see you speak? Uh what are you what are you working on? What's in your inbox? Oh wow. Um so I'm prepping a lot of stuff on Azure training at the moment and that I'm delivering in Ireland. Um in terms of travel, that's kind of come down a bit. So I got married earlier this year. Congratulations, my friend. We have an eight year old daughter and we have a baby on the way. Wow, congratulations and again. Thank you. Um, so it's an interesting time ahead. Oh, yeah. A whole lot of sleep deprivation for you. Yeah. When I was at the MVP summit recently, I was buying some of those five-hour energy things. Stocking <laughs> up. We can't get those over here. So <laughs> building a little repository to keep me going. Um, I'm continuing to write on my site on AidenFin.com and you're writing stuff for the Petri IT knowledge base at Petri.com. So that's mainly where people can find me. Um, and you know the occasional podcast like Run As Radio. Uh, well, and I'm super glad you're going to be here, especially for my 450th show. So it's amazing to be able to do that, Manny. Yeah, thank you, buddy. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm glad to finally have it. You know that old website was the placeholder site I put in place in 2007 until I could build something better. Oh wow! So eight years later, we're finally where a site that I'm I really am proud of and happy to to have you be part of it. So thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on as part of this great history of content you delivered to IT pros around the world. Thanks, buddy, and we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.